0: Our scripturing today is from the book of Judges, chapter 6 and 7. The people of of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And Israel was brought, brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When people, uh, when the people of Israel cried out, the Lord, on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and I lead you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery and delivered you into the hand of the out of the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of those who oppressed you and drove them out before you gave before you and gave you their land and I said to you I am the Lord your God you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites yeah <laughs> in, those land you, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now an angel of God, the Lord, came and sat under the terebeth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, Joash the Abysserite while his son Gideon was beating the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord was with us, then why then has all the this happened to us. And where are the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest, the Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and put down the altar of Baal and your, that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God. Put on top the, of the strong gold here with stones... Laid it in due order, then take a, a, the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the asheroy that you shall cut down. So Gideon took the ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town he to do it by day, he did it by night. Then Jubal, that is Gideon, and the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them. By the hill of the Mor- Mora in the valley, the Lord said to Gideon. The people with you are too many for, give, for me to give the, the mediates into their hand, lest Israel boast over saying me, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling lay return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still to me. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you." And any one of whom I shall say to you, this one shall go with you, shall, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gain, Everyone who laughs at the water with his tongue like a dog laps, you shall set him likewise. Everyone who kneels down to drink at and the number of those who lapped, lapped, putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men, but the, all the rest of the people knelt to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 3, 300 men who lapped up the water, I will serve." save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provision in their hands and their trumpets and they sent the sent the rest to Israel every man to his tent. But retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in their hands of all of them and empty jars with the torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise when... I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then blow their trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. When they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars and were in the their hands. When the, the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their jars, they held their left hands in the torches. And in the right, Hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth, she taught towards Zephra as far as the board of El- Miller and Tabith. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to thank God. God. Thanks be to <laughs> Father, we thank you for bringing us here. Uh, it admittedly, we sang some songs in our opening that were full of lyrics about the work you do to restore the brokenhearted and to give hope and Father, as a family, we just want to acknowledge that the room uh, undoubtedly is full of people who are brokenhearted, who are weary, heavy-laden, are feeling hopeless, and maybe didn't feel like they could sing those the the words uh, from the heart, and that's that's okay. Um, But Father, I would pray for all those of us who may be brokenhearted, who may be hopeless, who may be that weary and in need of rest, that this would be a place where we can just be and be present. And it's okay to be quiet, but that in this still space, uh, during this time, uh, your voice would enter into our souls. And as our father, you would speak life-giving, restorative, hope, renewing words. Uh, father, I pray that you would bring us back to yourself this morning and, um, heal wounds and give sight, and renew hope, and renew life. We pray that you would do this uh, through Jesus and through the work of your spirit. We pray. Amen. All right. So we continue on this morning with our summer series. We're almost done. Two weeks after today, we'll be all done with our series, Ordinary People, Gospel power. The gentleman I'm going to, the ordinary person I'm going to introduce you today, his name is Gideon. We already heard that read by Gideon. I'm not going to show you her illustration yet, but our sermon today was illustrated by Arabella Cipriano, fantastic illustration. I can't wait to show you later, um, but I'm going to save that for, for later in the sermon. So Gideon is our ordinary person. When I was growing up, uh, my walls were covered with posters, it's something that you'd In the 80s and 90s, if you're not familiar with what a poster is, it's a piece of paper with a big picture on it. There were these things, thumbtacks, okay, very lethal, dangerous, but uh, we would poke holes into our posters and tack them up to the wall. Uh, Here's one poster that adorned my wall for most of my growing up years. I know, right? It's a little over the top. So I was a Dallas Cowboy fan, and um, the reason I'm leading with this poster, uh, kind of apart from the sermon, just a basic gospel rehearsal, look, for those of you feeling hopelessly far from God, uh, he rescued me from profound self-deception and Dallas Cowboy fandom. And if, if he can bring me out of Egypt and into the promised land of Buffalo Bills fandom, then there's hope for you, too, okay? <laughs> and now that we've rehearsed the gospel, the reason I really wanted to put this up there is, uh, so Troy Aikman was kind of the poster boy for that 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 team, for the Cowboys in that generation. Emma Smith, uh, Jay Novacek, Michael Irvin, uh, my boy Daryl Johnson back when we still had fullbacks, like, that crew, But but he was the poster boy. But look at the picture. It's absurd, isn't it? Like, he's just a football player, but... And he plays for the Cowboys, but he's presented as a cowboy like he's slinging footballs all over the field of life, just confident and just all that. Like the poster just screams all of that. Um, It doesn't feel very ordinary. I think the reason this picture is appropriate is if we had a poster boy for our Ordinary People Gospel Power series, Gideon would be on the poster. And I think Gideon would be dressed and standing just like this. This projection of slinging footballs, of confidence, um, power. And I think it's fitting because I think there's an unhealthy expectation in Christianity and in churches that we need to show up to church. Projecting like that. That we need to give the impression that we sling faith-filled footballs all over the field of life, right? But on the inside, none of us... Feel like that? And Gideon sure didn't. So we read Gideon's stories. Gideon read it for us. He was dominated by fear, and his faith was really weak. It's actually incredible because if you read Hebrews 11, you find out he's listed in what some of you know as the we call it the Faith Hall of Fame, um, where people are commended for their faith. Gideon's commended in that chapter, but if you read this story. Well, he he doesn't feel like a faith-filled man at all. I think he's the poster child for our Ordinary People Gospel Power series. And that gives me hope. uh, Because my heart is filled with fear. And many days I am controlled by that fear and not by God's love for me. And on most days my faith is far weaker or smaller than it should be. All right. We've stared at Troy Aikman long enough. We can take the strong arm of the law off the, off the screen. Our big idea for the morning is only God's hand can rescue and restore. Only God's hand can rescue and restore. I want to talk to you about hand, but first rescue and restore. On this next screen, here's the, if you want to know what the Bible is all about, here's, here's what the Bible is all about. The story of the Bible begins with rest and it concludes with rest. God created, everything was in order, the world was just, it was God-centered, joy was found in him, identity was found in him. Rest, rest, that's what you're created for. That's the only, you will, you will know rest when you are God-centered and finding in him everything that you need in life. Everything. There's rest. The storyline of the Bible concludes with rest. Jesus comes as our rescuing king. He executes judgment. He restores. He rescues rebels. He brings us back home to the Father. The Bible opens in a garden. It closes in a garden city. Rest. Rest is broken. Rest restored. In the middle is this messy pattern. Rebellion, rescue, rest. Rebellion, rescue, rest. Rebellion, rescue, rest. That's the storyline of the Bible. And then every story, most stories within the Bible, are this messy pattern in microcosm. And that's exactly what we're going to see this morning. Let me show you Uh, our story. Actually, right before our story, it opens with this statement, chapter 5, verse 31. And the land had rest for 40 years. Rest because God had rescued them from their rebellion. And he gave them rest for 40 years. But then all you have to do is drop a verse. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. Seven years in the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. Rest, rebellion. We have the story of Gideon. And then if we skip, I just want to show you how this story concludes. Chapter 8, verse 28. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Like, all right, rest restored. But then look down a little bit. Verse 33, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again. Hey, look, our life story in the book of Judges. Did you know? They turned again, and they whored after the Baals, substitute gods. And they made Baal bereath their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side guys the book of judges exists to display this unbreakable cycle for us the story of Gideon exists to display this unbreakable cycle for us and so that Gideon can stand as a foreshadow of Jesus Gideon was able to provide a temporary rest a partial peace Jesus alone can provide a permanent rest and a full peace. Jesus alone. The book of Judges and the story of Gideon exists to show us that we cannot save ourselves by our own hand. We cannot rescue and we cannot restore. God alone, God's hand alone can rescue and restore. All right. So you saw in my big idea, I had the word hand written really big really big. Uh, my mom's proud of my, my handwriting's actually getting neater over the summer as I've stopped like typing things for sermons and I've started writing them by hand. Well, I sit down for like 10 minutes and make that happen right there. <laughs> Only God's hand can rescue and restore. Um, hands are featured prominently in the story of Gideon. So if you need a way to remember, hey, what's Gideon about? It's about hands. It's about one hand in particular, God's hand. But in this story, we see three hands. Let me show you chapter seven, verse one. Um, chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so as judgment, the Lord gave them into what? The hand of Midian, seven years. So here's our first hand. We're going to call this first hand our rebel hand, and we're going to give it, we'll give it the right hand, okay? So a raised right fist is is what hand? Rebel hand, all right? But that's not the only hand in the story. Flip the page, chapter 7, God's going to rescue him, but, but the Lord said to Gideon, Hey, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, here's what the whole story's about, saying, my own hand has saved me. I rescued myself. I restored myself. So there's our hand. Now, therefore, proclaim... Oh, no, let me back up. So, yeah, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. The implication being... We don't save ourselves by our own hand. God saves us by His hand. God's hand alone can rescue and restore. Okay? So we have rebel hand. We have God's hand, which we're going to call our rescue hand. and I'm going to give it our left hand, raised right or raise left fist. okay. How many lefties in the room today? All right, so wow, way more than the first. But I'm giving rescue to the left because you guys are the anomalies, right? Like there aren't many of you. People find out you're a le- oh, you're a lefty. Wow, incredible! You're a functioning adult. It's just like wow. So rescue hand is left hand because God's rescue almost always comes in an unexpected, unanticipated, unorthodox, lefties, like unusual way, like minority kind of way. Rescue comes out, so we're going to give it the left hand, okay? Left hand, rescue hand. And then in the middle, we already read about our hands, and God was really concerned that there would be a perception that Gideon and his people had rescued themselves by their own hand. So we're going to call this our receiving hand, and instead of being a raised fist, in the middle, we've just got open hands receiving. Now, because it's my sermon Each hand also happens to have knuckle tattoos, okay, with a key word that's really important. And if you really want to remember the sermon when we're all done, all you have to do is walk upstairs and get one of these tattoos, okay? And I'm not making the, let me show you why we have these words. There are three very important words. Our rebel hand has the, and they're all five-letter words for your fingers, okay? The, The right hand, your rebel hand, has the word power tattooed on it. Chapter 6, verse 2, the hand of Midian. You guys see that? You see what it says? Overpowered Israel. Rebel hand overpowers us. Overpowered. Now, our rescue hand, God's hand, look down at verse uh, 14. Nope, 24. Uh, Gideon builds an altar, and he says, it's to the Lord. He says, the Lord is peace. When rescues, God restores peace. Or we could say that differently. The only way your soul is restored to a place of peace is to receive God's rescuing work that only he can do. So, what's our raised rebel hand? Rebel. Word, our tat? Power. power. Okay, rebel hands, power. Rescue hand is peace. Only God's rescuing hand can restore the peace that is currently missing from your soul. The point of Gideon's story is you cannot restore peace by your own hand into your soul. And now we have receiving hands. We're going to tattoo, magic marker, henna. Henna's per- temporary. Okay, go henna. Place, the word place on our on our rescue hand. And the reason we're going to do that is in chapter 7, verse 21. When they received rescue, here's here's what they had to do. Here's what they had to do. Every man did what? Stood in place. I love that language because it doesn't really sound like they're working, which is the point of the gospel. They stood in place. God did the heavy lifting. He rescued them, and they were restored to peace. So we have rebel hand power, rescue hand, peace, peace, and then receiving or resting hands, uh, we're just going to go with place. All right, is that fair? Can we do that with our hands? Okay. Well, there's the sermon. That's it. That's Gideon chapter 6 and 7. But I was on vacation last week, so I have a lot more to say. So let's, let's get after it. Let's kind of break down each of those hands. Um, and then I, I want to point us to the gospel uh, from these chapters. So let's look at our the rebel hand, and power. And I don't know if these are words that I want to say as much as they're words that I hope we can feel together this morning. Um, Because we're so easily tempted to kind of categorize our rebellion, big sin, little sin, major sin, big consequences, little consequences. Guys, we've got to walk away from the story of Gideon feeling one word, and that is overpowered. There is no rebellion against God that will not overpower you. There is no little sin that will prove not to be overpowering. We're created to live with God at the center, and anything that we do to displace God and have ourselves in the center, um, anything comes with overpowering consequences for our rebellion. So let's just feel some words together. Chapter 6, starting in verse 2, The hand of Midian over. Powered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Overpowered to the point that they now hide in caves and the mountains and live in the dark. And the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted cop- crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour. There's a word that we need to feel. Rebellion, no matter how small, which is probably not even a word that we should associate with rebellion. Rebellion, no matter how insignificant, which is not a word we should associate with rebellion. All rebellion is significant, right? All rebellion devours your soul. Like all rebellion devours a piece of your, your heart, if you will. Devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. And look at, th- look at this. We need to feel this. Left no sustenance in Israel. We can relate we can with that. It's the feeling of being hungry. Well, maybe we can't as Westerners, honestly. Probably can't. But were we, if we were able to relate to this feeling, it would be this sense of having overwhelming, gnawing hunger, but having nothing to eat to satisfy that hunger. The the subtle thing of rebellion is it, it says, I'll satisfy you. I'll satisfy that, that that appetite you got, that craving, that hunger. God's not doing it for you, is He? Like you're living in submission to God, where's that getting you? Hungry? You're not satisfied. Let me satisfy you. That's the lie, and then it leaves no sustenance. Verse 5, for they would come up with their livestock, their tents, they would come like locusts in number. You will be overwhelmed in rebellion. The consequences, the result, the fallout, the after effect, will feel as though a horde of locusts is swarming in and over your soul. There's no insignificant rebellion. So that they were, here we need to feel this, they were laid waste. And verse 6, Israel was brought very low. All rebellion will bring us very low. They were brought very low because of Midian. Because the reason our rebel hand has the word power tattooed on it is because rebellion in all forms overpowers our soul to the point that there is nothing that we can do to rescue ourselves or restore the peace that is lost. Overpowered. The story matters to us this morning because there are some of us in this room who are right now, as these words are bouncing around, are overpowered. We know peace has been lost. We feel ravaged. We feel malnourished. We are not only still hungrier, we've gotten hungrier the more we've tried to eat from the hand of uh, our substitute gods. We feel devoured. We feel like, like we are living in dens and caves, hiding in guilt and shame, pretending that an area of our lives doesn't exist because it only exists in private. In our culture, in our day and age, if it's online or in private, it doesn't actually exist. And so you've been overpowered. That's rebel hand. I want to take you to scene two. I actually want to take you to the end of scene two. There's hope here. Uh, we'll, we'll work our way backwards. I want to show you how scene two, the rescue hand, how it ends. It ends in chapter six, verse 24, where Gideon builds an altar, and he says, the Lord is peace. So how do we go from being overpowered, being ravaged, being laid waste, being just destroyed, hiding in the dark, living in dens and caves, to now building an altar and saying, man, i got." There's peace on the horizon. Peace is going to be restored. How do we get there? Well, this is part of the good news of the gospel. Right back to kind of the opening lines now. Chapter 6, verse 7. I love this line. And if no other line existed in this narrative, this would be its own sermon. Look at this. Some of you just need to see this. This is all you need today. Verse 7. Like, let your eyes see it. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord... For help, right? They cried out. The Lord, what's the word? What do you do? Sent. He sent something, okay? God sends. You cry out for help, God sends. God doesn't hedge. God doesn't wait. God doesn't, uh, we'll wait and see on this one. When God's kids call out for help, God sends. Now, the first person he sends is not the rescuer. The first person he sends is the prophet. And the prophet has really important words to say to confront our rebellion. Here's part of our problem, guys. We don't want the prophet. We want the rescuer. You got to have the prophet. No prophet, no rescue. So what's the prophet have to say? The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, We've been here before. I led you up from Egypt. Remember that? And I brought you. Here's hand imagery already without using the word hand. I took you by the hand, kid, son, daughter. I led you up out of what had formerly enslaved. You're enslaved again. I led you up. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. We already done this. I brought you out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. I'm your—that's him saying, "I'm your rescuer. You can't rescue yourselves. I rescued you." And so, don't be afraid of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're going to live. But here's what the prophet needs to say to us this morning: You have not obeyed my voice. And has us in a death grip. We call it the five-finger death punch, if you want that you can't escape. And the, the, the reason we found ourselves in that death grip is though our father's voice had spoken for our good, we stopped listening and stopped remembering his voice and chose to do instead either what our own voice was saying or what another's voice was saying over us, a voice that didn't align. It's OK to, to follow the advice of other voices insofar as they align with the father's voice, right? We can listen to people. Um, but they had listened to people whose voices did not align with the father's. You had not obeyed my voice. Rebel hand, rescue hand. So the father shows up, says, hey, we've done this before. So here we go. We're going to do, here we go. We're going through the cycle again. Here we go. Now Gideon, our uh, strong arm of the log cowboy, right? He, he's a fear-filled man. Uh, the next scene, we see Gideon in a wine press. The reason he's in a wine press is it was a kind of a recessed, area that was out of view, out of sight. Normally they'd be treading grapes for wine. He's taken all of his field crops that should be harvested and Purdue, whatever you do with all that stuff, out in the fields and out in the open, the chaff and letting the wind take the chaff away and the wheat settle and all that. He's kind of walking it out by foot in the wine press. You would never do that. He's there because he's afraid. And that's where rebellion always takes us. He's, he, he goes in fear, and the messenger of the Lord sh- shows up, and did you see how the messenger greets him? What's he call him? What's he say? Mighty hey, mighty man of valor. Now, that's either sarcasm, which God does employ, or it's a beautiful announcement of what the gospel is going to do in the life of Gideon. Maybe it's both, sarcasm and Prophetic statement. He was not a mighty man of valor, nor was he living in a mighty way. There was no valor. He was hiding, harvesting crops and hiding. But the messenger of God speaks something, says words that will come true in Gideon's life because of what God's going to do. That's what the gospel does. You're rescued into a family and you're this kid. You're this ordinary kid. There's not anything particularly special. And, and there is a, a wasteland behind us, and God says, you're my son, and this is going to be true, and this is true, and this will come true. This is how the gospel works. The Father speaks over us. This is who you are now, and this is what is going to become true because I'm acting in your life. This is gospel stuff right here. So they have a conversation. The messenger says, you're going to, you, hey, you're going to rescue God's people. You're going you're to rescue God's people. Verse 15 says, hey, uh, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, My people is the, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Who does he sound like? Who else was told they were going to rescue God's people? And how did he respond? Are you kidding me? Have you heard me talk? And the Lord said to him, "Now you don't get it, do you? Like we've been through this cycle before. Here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to be with you. Uh, That's not just um, years ago, 10, 15 years ago. I think I was still working on the farm. I don't even think I was in the Marine Corps yet. Uh, Who sang Jesus Take the Wheel? Oh, look at you guys. Wow. So proud of you. Clearly, you listen to that song regularly. That was a fast response. All right, so just for the record, I guess I have to correct something. Uh, It's not a worship song, right? Like, there's some poor theology in the, like, is that, uh, the bumper sticker Jesus is my co-pilot? Like, this is not a co-pilot announcement by Jesus. This is the announcement, like, your plane is going to the ground, and you're going to keep riding, but I'm taking over, and I'm accomplishing the rescue, and you're just kind of along for the ride. Like, I'm not taking the wheel, I'm, I'm, I'm building a new car, and I'm driving, you're riding, get out of the driver's seat. That's what God's saying. Uh, like in the original Hebrew. It's all right there. <laughs> but there's a problem, right? Because that's the point. God rescues. Gideon doesn't rescue. God rescues. Gideon's going to be the means by which God rescues his people, but God's hand rescues and restores. That's the point. So the conversation continues in chapter 7. Gideon goes, and he recruits an army, and he gets 32,000 people. Pretty strong army for that day. But That's a lot of people. The Midianites had more people, but... Um, they were down in the valley. You could probably swoop in out of the mountains, um, a little guerrilla warfare, and, and you could probably make it happen. And God had said he would be there to make it happen. And so he says to Gideon, chapter 7, verse 2, um, hey, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into the hand. Why? Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. That Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, get out of here, go home, hurry away. And then 22,000 of the people return. 10,000 remain, And God said, again, that's too many. So they do this little test with drinking water. And don't build a sermon on this. I've heard tons of really bad application. Like, don't over-spiritualize the drinking water thing. God's just arbitrarily sorting people out. So he says, look, go down to the water. Um, people who get the water in their hand, bring it up and kind of lap it like a duck and their eyes are up. Like, we're going to keep them. And anybody who goes down to the water and just puts their head in the drink and drinks, like they're, they're gone. They're going home, okay? So we've already dropped from 32,000 to 10,000. They go to the water and 10,000 becomes 300. Now, I was nearly an ASVAB waiver for my math score, but if I'm not, mis- which, never mind, I was gonna talk about my mom, but I'll talk about my mom. She was a math major in college. And then fell in love with my dad and left school. Uh, I don't know if my grandparents ever really got over that, but my mom, man, so when she started homeschooling us later in life, like we would just sit on the couch and like math for five hours a day. (laughs) And still, nearly an ASVAB waiver coming in. But if I'm, so my mom, she's my math hero. If I'm not mistaken, 32,000 down to 300, what's our percentage looking like? 1%, right? Less than 1%. that's a big drop. The point of the story is not that God needs your 1%. The point of the story is God needs your, he doesn't need any of your percent. God rescues his people. Our problem is we know we need to be rescued. We can get our heads around that, but we have this illusion that we can accomplish some or all of our rescue. So honestly, we have an illusion we don't very often. Or we have the illusion we can rescue ourselves and restore We can, we can, we can rescue and restore our souls. And so before God rescues you from your rebellion and his judgment and your enemy, you know what you need to be rescued from first? The illusion that you don't need rescue. Then you need to be rescued from the illusion that you can more or less rescue yourself. You just need a little bit of God's help along the way. The point of Gideon's story is you cannot Rescue and restore your soul. God's hand alone rescues and restores. He doesn't need your 1%. And that's the beauty of the gospel. 1% kind of gets a negative connotation in our culture for the uh, political conversation. The 1% is the elite. But here the gospel takes 1%. That's really good news for us. Because some of you have lived enough life to know that your 99% was insufficient. You're actually your 99%. Your strength led you into rebellion and an, a life attempted to live autonomously from God. That's where your 99% got you. And God doesn't even need your 1% to rescue you and restore you. And if 1% is all you have left, well then the gospel is really good news for you, because God doesn't even need that to rescue and restore you. All right, receiving hand. We got to keep pressing. Rebel, power, rescue, peace. God restores peace. What do I do to receive? Chapter 7, verse 21. Every man stood in his place around the camp. That's what God did with the 1%. You didn't even need them to go down into battle. God did all the work to rescue. They stood in place. That's a really passive phrase right there. Stood in place. And that is the good news of the gospel. The father does the rescuing work through the son While we stand in place and receive his rescuing work on our behalf. Some of you want more and there is more there and I'm going to give it to you, but I'm reluctant to because what I'm going to say next is not a short list of ways that you can rescue and restore yourself. Only Jesus can rescue and restore you, okay? So we have to leave with the receiving hands, the resting hands that are simply standing in place and receiving the work of Jesus for our rescue. That's the gospel. Now, that being said, you can make yourself a little list because it's possible for you to work to remain at rest, if that makes sense. You receive the rest. Now, in this cycle that was unbreakable, God's people got it, lost it, got it, lost it, got it, lost it. Jesus breaks the cycle. He is our rest, and you can remain in him. You don't have to walk away from Jesus. So look, for those of you who, you gotta have a list, otherwise it's a terrible sermon. Let me just give you your, uh, let me let me give you your list, your, your work to do. Now, but let me say it again. This is not work you do to get yourself in the family it's not work you do to prove you belong in the family. And it's not work you do to keep your place in the family. It's work you do to remain in the rest, in the peace that the Father has given you through Jesus. Where does it begin? Right back, chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, they have not obeyed my voice. Guys, there is one well-worn pathway to finding rest for your soul. It is the pathway of hearing hearing and obeying the Father's voice. And His voice is right here, and it is animated for us by the work of the Spirit. You can work to remain at peace. You can work to build safeguards to remain at peace and at rest. You posture yourselves daily to hear and obey your Father's voice. There's more, though. Look at chapter 6, verse 25. Uh, There was something that God wanted Gideon to do before the battle. He basically had to go into his family's place, tear down an altar, destroy it, and then build an altar so that they could worship the one true God. There's an implication for us. You want your soul to remain at rest? Have a daily conversation with your father. Dad, please again today show me where my God substitute altars have been set up in my life. My sexuality my career, this person, whatever it may be, whatever has displaced you from the center, please give me the courage to tear that thing down. That idol has to go. As long as that idol's there, my soul won't have rest. Let's tear it down, and then let's build an altar. Now, you don't need to go build an altar with sticks and stones. You don't need to build a physical altar in your home. How can we understand that now? We would build rhythms into our lives daily that... Lead our wandering hearts and our wandering feet back to the voice of our dad. There are rhythms in our life that prioritize hearing our father's voice, rehearsing the gospel, spending time with other followers of Jesus who will uh, encourage us when our hearts are faltering in faith or overcome by fear. So we tear down the altars Idols, and we build rhythms into our daily existence that will serve as safeguards to help us remain at rest or in peace. There is work that we can do for sure. There's so much here. I took a week off. I have like an hour more worth of things to say, uh, but I can't. Um, let me, let me, let me say, um, let me think what I want to say. All right. The first thing I want to say, Jesus is the true and better Gideon. Gideon provided a temporary peace, a partial peace. We already saw it. When he died, it all went away. Um, We're like Gideon in that way. We can patchwork it together. Temporary peace, truce, feels right, feels okay for a little bit, but it doesn't last. You can't break the cycle. Gideon, as great a man as he was in all of his flaws, like us, ordinary person, was insufficient to break the cycle for God's people. You can't break your cycle of rest, rebellion, rescue. Jesus alone breaks the cycle. So Jesus is the true, truer, and better Gideon who breaks that cycle for us. But that's the good news of the the gospel. The cycle can be broken. It is broken. It's broken. Jesus breaks the cycle. But you can't do it, right? God's hand only rescues and restores. Let's talk about... um, yeah, skip that. Skip that. Let's talk about trumpets and signs, okay? I'll close with trumpets and signs. Here's the absurdity of the gospel, and it's what I love about this circle we, uh, story. We already saw that they brought it down to 1%, right? But then did the 1% carry swords into battle? No swords. What did they have? Are you serious? Trumpets. Whose battle plan is this? That's like sending 300 fourth graders in with recorders, Right? <laughs> Well, that probably would defeat the Midianites because I think that defeated everybody who tried to have a career in music teaching like over the years, right? Trumpets, whose battle plan is that? Exactly! No one! It's crazy. Nobody like nobody would draw up that battle plan. So back to our left-handed rescue, you know. Nobody draws that up. This is the gospel. And here's where it's beautiful. Apart from the gospel, your only solution is to sling your own sword. Your only solution is to find the 99%. What's your perceived strength? What's your 99%? You disciplined? You kind? You happy? Are you cheerful? Are you smart? Are you well educated? What's your 99% that you're trusting on can restore peace? What is it? It's what it needs to be. And in rebellion, it's not, right? The trumpet then stands as a symbol for us that the pathway to peace is a laying down of the sword and a laying down of the 99% and playing the trumpet, the absurdity. But here's where it's beautiful. A sword is for attacking. A trumpet is for announcing. The reason so many of us don't know peace is we are more committed to to chasing it down and projecting power and slinging the sword and executing the 99%. All the while, God wants you to lay the sword down, lay the perceived power down, and play the trumpet. Don't attack. You know what the trumpet was used for? It was used for announcing. It was used for announcing. It was even used for announcing an anticipated victory. So we don't attack. We announce to ourselves the good news of the gospel, and we announce to each other the good news of the gospel, that the victory is in Jesus. So stop attacking, stop swinging your sword, stop fighting, stop projecting power, start praying, stop fighting, start fasting, start, stop slinging the sword and start singing out, crying out to Jesus and asking him for rescue and restoration. The trumpet's really significant in this story. Most of us are walking around with swords in our sheaths and most of us are walking around actively swinging the swords. We're like, I don't know why I don't have peace. You're not going to have peace until you put the sword down. And you're not going to have peace until the 99, that hand is open and that 99% is gone. And God's, isn't that what it says in the New Testament? It's in our weakness that Jesus' power is seen to be perfect. The 1%, the trumpet, not the sword. Last thing I want to talk about, signs. Um, there were three signs in this story. Did you see them as Gideon read? The first sign was, Kind of like God did for Moses. He said, you're going to save uh, my people. Gideon's like, man, I really need a sign. It's kind of weird. So he like goes in, he makes a meal. He comes back out and he sets the meal on the rock. Now, clearly this happened in the south because then God says, pour the gravy on the biscuits, right? Like there's a, gr- anyway, so he pours the gravy on the, bi- now, so now it's wet and the messenger of God touches the meal. Did you see this? And what happens? Catches on fire, right? Catches on fire. That was sign number one. Sign number two is Gideon's fleece thing, right? And that's maybe what the story's most famous for. And it's anyway. Uh, so he's like, God, I don't know if I can believe this, but if it's a if it's a if it's wet ground, dry fleece, I'll believe. Next day, opposite. I need wet fleece, then dry fleece, dry fleece, wet fleece, then I'll believe. That so often is held up as a model of how to pursue God's will. Maybe not with fleece, but give me give me a sign. I'm going to give some kind of test. Guys, be really careful there. That was not an expression of faith. That was an absence of faith. Absence of faith. Look, the Father wants you to act confidently. He has revealed his will to you in such a way that gives you incredible freedom to make good and wise choices. So you don't need a sign for every single choice in life. Our Father in his goodness has already said, look, here's how I want you to live. Just go. Go live. Make good choices within this will that I've given you. You don't need the sign, right? So it wasn't wasn't an evidence of his faith. It was actually an indictment in the absence of his faith. It's the last sign I want to point you to because this will tie in with our illustration, then I'll be done. It's my favorite of the three signs. Gideon's still afraid. So God says, take your servant, go scout out the front lines. And while you're scouting, front lines, you're going to hear something that will remind you that I'm going to make this happen. So he goes down to the front lines. He hears two of the enemy soldiers talking. And the one guy's like sharing his dream from the night before. This dream is the kind of dream that gets shared at my breakfast table. He says, here's, did you see it? Did you read it? He says, I saw a cake, a cake rolling down the mountain, right? I saw melon pond from family mart rolling down the mountain and it takes out all of our tents and crushes it. What does my dream mean? Clearly, this is a sign that Gideon and his men and their swords will roll down the mountain like a, like a melon pond and destroy us. All right, now we have Arabella's illustration for the morning, which features that third sign. I was so happy. And Arabella, you did a fantastic job. Your picture is going to help all of us rehearse the gospel and remember this story. We need God's hand trumpets instead of swords, right? We got hand of midian, God's hand, our hand, rebel, rescue, rest with the, let's not call them tattoos, with the word written on the knuckles and um they're on our cake rolling down the mountain taking out the tents. You did a fantastic job and you wrote maybe the most important words on there just like the gospel. Guys, Gideon's story exists to point us to Jesus and to point us to the gospel. Now with her picture in mind, And the entire story of mine, let's just bring all these words back up and I just want to ask you this question in closing. Where are you right now? Are you resting? Are you rebelling? Are you waiting for rescue? Where are you? And then let me just ask you this. The turning point in this story Back in chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel did what? They cried out to God for help. And what did God do? He sent a prophet and a rescuer. Guys, God has sent to you a truer and better prophet and rescuer in Jesus. If you're in rebellion, you cannot break the cycle for yourself. Cry out to Jesus the only prophet and rescuer who can break that cycle for you. You need rest? You can't give rest to your soul today, guys. Only Jesus can. So let's cry out together as a family. Father, we need rest. I pray that you would destroy the illusion that we can rescue and restore our own souls. Point us to Jesus. Help us to lay down our swords and pick up our trumpets to cry out to you and to announce the good news of the gospel. Help us to let go of the 99%, that perceived strength that we have. Father, help us just to stand in place with open hands, anticipating the good, rescuing, restorative work that you have promised you will do through Jesus. Father, I wanna pray particularly for those who feel enslaved by an unbreakable cycle. Jesus, I pray that you would show yourself today to be stronger, that you are that cycle breaker You would bring rest, restoration, reconciliation, that you would bring rebels back home to their father. Please do this for your name's sake and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.